Are we live? Are we live? Are we? Are we? All right. Out freaking standing. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy folks. Time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasy. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Mostly it's Doc that's dysfunctional, but she's not here to defend herself on account of she's buried in boxes and moving and stuff. So without further ado, we're going to let our esteemed panels, panelists, I can speak today, I promise, introduce themselves. So who are you? What do you create? And what are you famous for? We'll start with you because we're going to do clockwise and like organized and stuff, Richard. Oh, okay. I'm up first. Uh, I am Richard Paulinelli. I'm a uh, longtime writer uh, just got back into fiction writing in the last decade. And uh, at some point or another, I, I discovered I became a publisher and I run Tuscany Bay Books in addition to trying to write my own books. So I, I keep busy, I guess is what I am trying to say, but um, I'm glad to be back on. It's the uh, second time around. And we'll have to do some more. And uh, I'm going to be pairing up some with Three Ravens and some of the other small press to get some of their authors for these chats to, to help, you know, rising tide lifts all ships and stuff. You notice how I just called you Richard and neat, neatly sidestepped trying to pronounce your last name? You know, I, 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 did, I did. I did. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't worry about pronouncing it because I have heard some beauties in my day. My favorite is Paleruski because I'm still to this day trying to figure out where they see an S or a K anywhere in my name. But uh, the best way to do it is quit looking at it. Just just think of it as two first names, Paula, Nelly, and Sam together without pausing. Works for me. Uh, that's really going to mess you up, though, is when people try to spell that to look for you on the Amazons. That Luckily, Custom eBay Books is easy to spell, and I bet you link to yourself there. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, oh. you can get a hold of me through Tuscany Bay. Um, in fact, I think there are links to all of our authors. And if there's not, and I find out about it, it will be qu quickly corrected. But yeah, if you want to get a hold of any of us, uh, Tuscany Bay Books is the best place to start. All right. And what are you famous for? What do you write? I mostly write science fiction and fantasy, but I, uh, I'm kind of multi multi-genre. I, and I blame this on being a sports writer for 25 years. I'm very eclectic. So I've got, I've got sports nonfiction. I've got, um, I've written a Western co-wrote co it with my, uh, my business partner, Jim Christina. Um, I've done mystery thrillers. I've done Sherlock Holmes pastiches. You know, as Jim said, it's like have genre will travel with me. So I'm not afraid to kind of wander around and try something new. So what you're saying is you have genre ADD. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think that's a good that's a good description. <laughs> or Doc would call it genre fluid, but she's progressive like that. Yeah, well, I, I think we'll go with, with genre ADD. That, that works better. Genre fluid. <laughs> Whatever works for you. All right. Next, we have the uh, esteemed couple behind JF Posthumous. So uh, who are you? What are you famous for? What do you write? Introduce yourself, please. Oh. She's JF Postman. <laughs> She's JF Postman's actual legal name, which is also a question she gets all too often. I'm her uh, husband, Mark. Um, I have not nearly as cool a last name, so that's why we went with hers. And honestly, she does 80% of the work. I just help here and there, and I edit. And she's always asking my opinion, so it's my fault if something screws up. Not true. But your beard game is on point. She can't compete with that. 
<laughs> um, I write, we write, uh, urban fantasy, uh, sci-fi, <laughs> um, a little bit of horror, um, and did I mention high fantasy? No. Nope. Okay. You just did. And, well, actually, high fantasy is maybe covers. He and I are both doing our, uh, we've been doing high fantasy. It's actually how the two of us started writing together was in high fantasy and being our first works uh, to, at, individually or together. Of course, looking back now, they're very cringeworthy. So <laughs> the past few years, we've gotten better at it. And uh, we're in the process of redoing that work to where it's readable, at least in our opinion. Uh, and that's going to be coming out uh, either later this year or next year with Three Ravens. Um, in addition to that, she's we have three other worlds, for lack of a better term, or universes. Uh, Lady of Death. Which was our first that um, came out. And then we have the Nightshade series, which is another... That's urban more of fantasy. a urban fantasy. That's kind of a superhero genre kind of thing. We kind of have a, a Batmanish kind of character and a Wonder Womanish kind of character that build a, uh, a relationship both professionally and personally. And it's kind of the ups and downs of, of their their life together. And then uh, I have a sci-fi kind of murder mystery-ish series that's going to be coming out uh, later this year. I'm currently waiting for edits on that. Also write Space Chickens. You can't forget that one, right? Yeah. yeah. If, if, if chickens are involved, we're probably writing about them. So. Well, actually, so, for that one, it was an urban fantasy. Uh, it was a chicken of doom. Yes, the yeah. chicken it was doom. the chicken of doom. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would classify my story in that collection, because it, it's basically Star Wars meets Looney Tunes. You know, <laughs> so I, I mean, I just, I just when when Bokra approached me for that i want to just have fun with it. yeah i just yeah. want to just okay, do first, something crazy with it and, That's yeah it i did nobody richard nobody knows what this collection is that you're talking about with chickens oh, of doom they think it, you're smoking acid or something no 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 you smoke it's, acid and drink it i don't know whatever i'm not a druggie I don't so know. What's somebody, the, uh, what's somebody the might have spiked my. Yeah, Dr. there's something in the Dr Pepper. He did yeah. it earlier. No, it, it's a, it's a, it's an anthology called Cracked. Um, the, the okay. The book Brumley put together, and it the theme was it had to have something to do with chickens. Chickens. And my story is titled "Barn Wars: The Rise of Brewster Mother Clucker." And I blame <laughs> it on her for his name because she did that. <laughs> She came up with Mother Clucker, and I'm like, I am going to go with that name and see where it takes me. And it's basically, I mean, if you if you grew up watching Looney Tunes, you will recognize Bugs Bunny, uh, um, Foghorn Leghorn. Um, I forget who all else I put in this thing, but you will see a lot of Looney Tunes with references to Star Wars and even a little Charlotte's Web weaved into it just for fun. So, oh, that wasn't just my theory. Okay, that is what you did. Yeah, there awesome. you go. So, no, dude, so yeah, it. I mean, that, it, was, so. that was that was that wow. was a fun anthology to write for. You it know, was. it really was. But that's so. That's if you correct. noticed that Michael, if you noticed that Michael dropped out, his Wi-Fi is crappy. We're gonna put up with it as long as we. He's willing to keep popping back in. Um, <laughs> so I do have the question that everyone wants to know: uh, the two of you of JF. Do your marriage counselors charge you extra because you write together, or do they give you a discount because they feel sorry for you? <laughs> they avoid us because they write more stressful. They're like, yeah. no, no, 
No, no, keep no, keep them far away from the office. Keep them in the lobby if you can. I'm going to get out the back door. <laughs> does that does that make it stressful that you guys you know have that close relationship and then you try to work together? Because I know co-writing alone can be stressful for some people, and then you add a marriage usually to it. We're, usually, we're on the same page about stuff, and when we're not, we just. It's snipe at each other. We snipe at each other because one of us has gotten something wrong and mm -hmm. the other has to explain to the other exactly what that is. And since we're both stubborn, I mean, <laughs> redhead kids, think about this. I'm fighting a redhead here. Um, you know, it, it can get a little testy and the kids can be like, can you choose to fight God? But uh, for the most part, it makes it easier because we do understand like, okay, for example, uh, Jen's writing something and she's like, I can't think of a phrase for this. I can't think of what dialogue would make sense. She'll ask me and if I can't come up with it myself, usually I can come up with words that will make her brain go, oh, wait, it's this and vice versa. Um, also, she's really the bookkeeper in this thing. I mean that both as a pun and not, but she keeps most of the facts to think. After I write something, I tend to forget it. She remembers everything. And so, you know, she'll be like, hey, you can't do that. We've already established this. And I'm like, okay, my, my specialty is painting her out of corners and myself. So I'm great she, at writing when her, too. Yeah, when she goes into her corner, she's like, aha, you come, your turn to write. So to the point where okay. it's like, I've written so, myself into a corner again, help. <laughs> so you guys don't alternate chapters, you kind of, kind of, work within the chapter each of you it depends honestly um again i say that she does 80 percent of the work it's not just the the leg work and the mm -hmm. she's the one that's like sits down daily and does the writing i'm kind of, kind of the house dad i'm mr mom for the most part so she can sit down and she can get out what's in her head and then i help tweak it if there's uh action sequences for the first few years it was just me She's like, I need an action sequence. This is what's got to happen. It involves these characters. Go. And I'll be like, okay, hon. And sit down, you know, sit down with the coffee. Sit down. What am I going to make these people do? <laughs> Grab the action figures. Try to figure it out. But Now uh, we have minis. <laughs> now we have minis because we can print them. But, you know, and dice. If, okay. if you can't, you can't figure awesome. a story, roll dice. So, yeah, so that's I mean, one of the things I noticed with... That's one thing you notice is some authors that, that have never done physical things, uh, even just wrestling as kids, is their their action scenes don't pass the Barbie test where it's like, uh, you know, if they did that scene, he would have to detach his left leg, wrap it around with his right arm, and then, like, that just isn't how the body works. They've so, actually um, gone out for the sword fights, um, especially in the Injustice series, the sci-fi coming out. We've actually gone out with Boken, and it's like, or lightsabers. Or lightsabers. Or lightsabers. And we'll walk through it. We'll yeah. just pace it out to figure out who's hitting who and how. And the fight sequences, oh. if I can't make it work physically in my head to where people can do that, that was one of the big things about the, the Nightshade series was I wanted to make sure that everything that they did, aside from the magic element, which is really <coughs> But everything the Sandman did, it was stuff you could actually pull off. It was from weaponry you could actually find and look up or gadgets that existed. So I wanted that part of it based very much in reality, even if the city we're living in isn't real. And, of course, the magic is questionable because, you know, magic. people don't believe in magic. Um, but we wanted it to all be organic. 
And that's kind of carried over even when we're doing high fantasy. It's like, okay, yeah, you're fighting a fantastical creature that can't possibly exist. But like you said, you know, it's like you can't suddenly detach this arm so it'll swing around and make that final cut mm -hmm. on, the bad, on, on the bad monster or the bad guy uh, because it looks good cinematically or it reads well. You have to be able to go, okay, I can visualize this in my head. If the reader can't do that, we've lost them. And that goes yeah. for any writer. So that's that's always been a yep. big thing for mm -hmm. both of us. And she's actually been getting much much better at it than I would have. I, I've been cheating. She, I, she I said she couldn't do it. She said she could. Is what it <laughs> I said she could do it. She's like, no, I can't. I'm like, okay, keep it up, sweetheart. We'll keep track of this. And she has. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know when Jim and I, we wrote, we wrote a Western together. And <laughs> he he's the Western expert because he. You know he's been around horses. He he's uh, he was a Western historian. So when we wrote our book uh, together, we kind of had it mapped out. He was going to take one of the main characters. I was going to take the other, and we were going to write until the point where they meet, and then we would alternate. But the one thing I relied on him was the weaponry, and you know how how far could a horse get in a single day's travel? Because you can't say he goes from. Kansas City to Dallas in a day, we can do that, right? We can do that today, but a horse, no, you know. So we we made maybe the horse was on a train. Yeah, maybe so it was a you know fantasy. No, 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 no. This, this is historically accurate western. So I relied on him to do that, and he relied on me to come up with some of the what was called inventive death scenes by one of our reviewers, and nice. that's where I that's where I relied on the fact my wife has been in medical for 30 some odd years. And I have access to people who have seen some of the weirdest injuries to go and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to have this happen. Is this feasible? You know, what has to happen for that to ha happen? And so I would do that. He would check the, the Western history and it really worked really well when you've got that because we, we don't lose the reader with some outlandish thing that couldn't possibly happen. You know, for example, you can't go very far on a horse in the Old West. I think 40 miles was about your max. Unless you had a horse to breaking point. That's pushing yeah, the horse to near breaking. If, if you had relays, you could go fur further. But for two guys trying to go from, I think we were like Oklahoma up to somewhere, just somewhere in Nebraska, that took a while to get up there. You know, so we just... <laughs> You need that because people who read Westerns will know there's no way that yeah. horse could do that. There's no way somebody could be a mile and a half away with a rifle and hit somebody because no. you, back then they Not didn't then. travel that far, right? So, yeah. yeah, you need that that historical accuracy. You need the reality to at least be there enough that the reader won't bail out on you and say, well, if, this, if he's doing this, I can't buy any of the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I need to go and pick up our daughter. And before we lose Michael again, we should get introduced, let him introduce himself. So, <laughs> yeah, she's currently working uh, elsewhere. So, yeah. Ah, okay. Well, M Michael, do you want to try to introduce yourself? See if we can keep you on now that you're you're going audio f uh, camera free. See if that makes a difference. I'm gonna try this, guys. My my uh, my connection is just um.
dro dropping really crazy over here and my audio is very unreliable so i'm just trying to do everything i can to kind of lighten the bandwidth load on my end um my internet was allegedly uh just fixed this afternoon and it's been fine all day up until now naturally uh but um my name is Michael Gallagher. Um, I am a book reviewer and I report on fandom and culture for Upstream Reviews. Uh, my debut novel, I'm also the author of my debut novel, Cyberpunk Horror Action Comedy, Body and Blood, which is available on Amazon. Um, and my short fiction has appeared in Kusova Magazine as well as several anthologies, most recently, uh, just out from Bayonet Books, Zombies Patient Zero. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was amazing. We actually have the cover artist for that in the house. Uh, Jenny was uh, gracious enough. I, I reached out to Three Ravens because I knew the cover artist was having some real life stuff. That turned out great. Uh, it that did. Yeah, it really it did. did. I wasn't sure he was. You you don't need to order them yourself. But you, copies. you don't have to pay full price. Well, you got one from me. Um, what can I say? Oh, I wanted it. To... Yeah, we got one sale. As soon as that um, paper. But so, as soon as, as soon as that paperback button was live, I clicked it, man. I wasn't even understood. Understood. I, I, appreciate it. I keep a copy for me and one each for my kids. But but she filled in in a pinch because she's um, um, William Joseph Roberts Hillbilly. I said I need a cover artist that can do a quick turnaround. He's like, I got you. And he hooked uh, hooked Jenny and I up together. And then he made fun of me for sharing inappropriate news. Um, but so um, obviously, you know that's what you're famous for, but you also, you think about all things sci-fi because you do lots of reviews of anything speculative fiction uh, mm -hmm. for Upstream. So today we are going to discuss about what makes believable aliens. Cause I've seen some where you get the stereotypical, you know, forehead ridge of the week, Star Trek style. Now that is not a dig at Star Trek. They were limited by technology at the time they recorded. And then it just sort of became their thing. But there is a tendency to just make all aliens humans with weird markings. So what is it, and you guys can jump in at any point, uh, maybe Michael first, so that way, you know, if you, you get lost, you get to weigh in a little bit um, if your well, Wi-Fi the, finally dies. But what do you what do you think makes believable uh, alien? And his internet dies. <laughs> <laughs> you literally froze the screen. Yeah. Um, so what about you, Rick? Yeah, for me, you, I, Richard, I, I've been, th been thinking about this today and the, the Star Trek thing of – Everybody was humanoid, but you had, you know, different face applications. I mean, even the tell te the the tellerites, um, the the with the pig face. I mean, it looked humanoid, and you know, you can only do that for so long before it's just like you, you know, you're just throwing stuff on there to try to cover that there's a human actor below. So for me, I want an alien that does not have you know, legs or, or arms like we would call them, you know, and not just the tentacle ones that, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the first science fiction novel I ever wrote as uh, the the antagonist uh, terraforms Europa, the, the moon around Jupiter, and he wipes out all these species that had been living under the ice. And all that remains are what, what I describe as miniature polar bears. They can't speak, but they, they use telepathy. And so when the main character arrives on Europa, yeah, and, and he kind of he kind of drops in, literally drops in. Um, his first thing when he looks up and he's surrounded by all these little white creatures is, 
what's with the mini polar bears? Because they're only like two feet tall. And the first thing they go, because he hasn't said anything, the first thing they do is they look at him and he hears them say, what's a polar bear? You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 an, it's an alien that you can kind of recognize. You, you can understand that that's a sentient creature, but there's different, there's enough of a difference there that, you know, you, you actually get a sense that this is an alien creature. Um, you know, sort of like, um, for example, the, the, the predator creature. I, I don't remember what the name of that one was, but you could buy into that being an actual species that would be out there, a warrior race that, that hunted to prove that they had, you know, reached the level of uh, manhood for nothing but lack of better of a term. The species I never got into was the aliens, the, the alien franchise where it's just go, all it does is go around, kill things. And, and I never really could figure out how that species could could be and actually thrive until they started retconning it with the, the Prometheus film. But but I want it, I want an alien species that, that you can you can believe can go out in space and can go out and do some of the things that we see them do. So that to me is what makes a good alien is as far away from humanoid as you can get, but can still buy it as a species that would exist somewhere. See, I feel called out because the aliens in uh, the sci-fi, uh -huh. one of the races, are, we jokingly call them space elves because okay. they're perfect. You know, they're perfect features. They are so much more graceful and, you know, make humans look horrible. Like, you know... <laughs> But I mean, but it's not. The only, it's it's not like the only I think I've had it though, right? described where um, it's like comparing a troll to like the grace of a kit of a cat. Okay. You know, um, but that's so, not the you know, only. Humans are like the trolls. You know, being yeah. bulky, anything but graceful. And then you have the Calasians who are very graceful, perfect features, beautiful. But also humanoid. But are they right. are they the only species you have in your universe? No. So they, I mean, no. yeah, you can have no. one humanoid, but don't. No. It's like with Star Trek, the Klingons, the Romulans, the the uh, Andorians—they're all humanoid. The um, know? race on uh, for Jupiter, uh, the um, humans refer well in uh, the romance that I redid, so it's not available right now. Um, the Jupes. The race from Jupiter's, I think they were like uh, crystalline beings. Yeah. And then you have another re race that was gaseous. And then um, I think it was the Zool. Is it the Zools? There was another race that was more canine. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, you'll have to forgive me because my brain just does not want to function on anything. Um, and I've explained it to JR, but um, uh, my eldest, uh, you can tell from the thin blue shirt, was a police officer. And uh, Three Ravens made a post about uh, he was killed in the line of duty last month. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. So my brain just does not want to remember everything. If you'd yeah, asked me last I month, I could have told you. Well, I, I think I think we can cut you a little slack on, on that. You, you know, you brought up Jupiter. Arthur Clarke, when he wrote 2010, 
um, the the sequel to 2001. For those who haven't kept up with that, in in Jupiter before it blows up, he describes some of the species that lives in Jupiter in the atmosphere. And there's one. It's a, it's almost like a cloud creature, almost like wafer thin that mm -hmm. floated. I mean, so to me, that's when I'm looking for an alien species. I want to see those kind of species. You know, yeah, you're going to have humanoid like, but again, yeah. going back to Star Trek, where you know it's just they put different ridges in different places, they still are they're still humanoid. And yeah. I, I want to see a little bit. There's got to be more than just humanoids running around the universe. Well, like I said, um, the so, one race was is very canine, so they have mm -hmm. you know like the jowls and and the romance, which. I'm hoping to have it republished by the end of the year. If not the end of this year, then like the beginning of next. Um, it, I, we have them where uh, the commander of the main character uh, is talking to Alyssa about it. And it wasn't the commander, it was her handler. Her handler was commenting about how he's never heard a large dog that didn't snore. And it's kind of a not very complimentary description because you know you're trying you're describing a race to a dog, mm -hmm. so it kind of shows what kind of person he is. And but you know we went that route for that particular race, and you know there's so many other races that you can find. Star Wars did a great job mm -hmm. with all the different races you know you can have humanoid you can have sort of humanoid you know but then you have the fantastical creatures um Watto and uh the huts and um the gamorians you know yeah. so many races that you can pull from and you know star wars isn't the only one that did that yeah yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited oh, for John C. Wright has created the StarQuest universe. And um, his his first book in that universe is due out hopefully around the end of the year. Uh, and I say that as the publisher of it. I hope we get it out by the end of the year. Uh, but he's got a Bible that he sent out because he he's built this to invite other authors in. And I'm writing in what's called the fourth age. Most of what he's going to do is in 12th. But he has this vast universe where that takes place in the Andromeda galaxy with dozens of species that are so vastly different. Uh, it, it's incredible. So that's the kind of a, a universe, the Star Wars universe, as opposed to what we've seen in Star Trek, is yeah. for me, that's the that's where I, that's the universes that have done the best with creating aliens that aren't just people walking around with you know, different ridges. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I think, go ahead, Jimmy. Oh, no, it's fine. So I think one of the things that I noticed the, that stands out for me when people write or you see aliens in fiction, be it comics, graphic novels, television, book, whatever, is they say alien X is afraid of the dark. This race is, is afraid of the dark. And then every whatever they decide the characteristic of this race is, every single one of them is exactly the same. And unless you're talking about cloning and, and you can explain it as some sort of genetic manipulation, 
I mean, how many humans are exactly the same with what they like and what they do? And, you know, like I think when everything is the same with no variance, that's what, what, you know, kills the, the immersion for me when it comes to alien races. Um, but one of the things that we've talked about the non-humanoid, there is a school of thought that says in order to, to get to the stars, you have to be able to create technology. And in order to be able to create technology, you have to have opposable thumbs, which means nature would require almost the, the, the hands, the feet in, in kind of humanoid ish shape. Now, obviously you could become, I don't know, you could, you could have multiple hands that are non-humanoid, but still give you the opposable thumbs, but the ability to manipulate the world around you is a requirement. And how do you do that? If you're a blob, mm. that, that becomes a, an interesting mm. dilemma you see with some of the, with some of the aliens they created. Some of the ones that star Wars had, for instance, it's like, how did they build anything to get into space? Yeah. I, I never really yeah. sold me on some of the races. There is an option that neither one of you mentioned, though, is the non-sentient. So everyone thinks alien, they think E.T., but what happens if you land on Mars and they're space cows or, or insert planet? Those are technically aliens, mm -hmm. you know, amoebas, parasite, like anything that isn't of Earth by our definition would be alien. Fun. And it doesn't have to be sentient. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I think... Different types of I don't know if warm-blooded even applies. Yeah, and anything that's alive alien plant versus alien animals. But, but yeah, all of that would count too. Um, and I think the trick is, is to make them believable to the environment they originated from. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you wouldn't have a tropical style, you know, uh, in ability to insulate, you know, against the heat and then have them come from an ice planet, right? Like, no, they're going to be, they have the opposite problem. They're not going to be wanting to let heat escape. They're going to be wanting to retain it. And that's a different creature altogether. So yeah. I think I think that's where you get you got to start with is where they're from. Yeah, and that's my biggest complaint with the movie Signs is the aliens show up and the one thing that will kill them is what covers seventy five percent of the planet. Why would you go somewhere where you're going to die and more you know more likely than not if you just just by being on the planet if it rains you're gone you know no so, yeah. So why why would they even bother coming to a water world in the first place, you know? For that matter, if they're outside during the summer, you know, you get, you know, dew from humidity. the humidity. I mean, they, yeah. they're going to croak. <laughs> Walking <laughs> down the street, they're going to die. Yeah, you know, that, that, one, that, that one always bugged me as far as alien creation was, you know, you've got these guys and the only thing you take them out is water. And we are basically a water planet with just a little bit of land poking up here and there. Just give a bunch of kids water guns. You're probably yeah. <laughs> Sneeze on them. You know? <laughs> Speaking of aliens, we're going to pause for a moment with this blunt force segue. And we're going to shamelessly show for the man. Uh, alien. alien Days is a multi-author anthology with thrilling tales of aliens, invasions, artificial intelligence, friendship, deceit, and extinction. This combination of stories makes it a must-read for science fiction short story fans. This anthology features Nebula and Dragon Award nominees, Amazon bestsellers and award winners, alongside rising stars in the science fiction genre. Let the authors take you on adventures through dystopian worlds and far-flung planets that will stretch your imagination. Welcome to Alien Days. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. 
Uh, and speaking of aliens, so you mentioned some of the aliens that don't make sense. What you described is a creature not acting in its own best interest. I think there's a universal constant when it comes to creatures. They want to survive. They want to reproduce. So they're not going to engage in activities uh, from the you know smallest bacteria all the way up to the most sentient, largest, whatever. They're going to do things to try to propagate their species. Um, so with that being said, I, I get what you're saying when it comes to the, the signs, the, the alien, is it basically committed suicide by landing on Earth, right? Like this planet was not hospitable to them. Do you find in, in a larger context that a lot of science fiction, because um, that's mostly, I think if it's got aliens, it's science fiction, right? Like I, think, I don't think you'd call them aliens in a fantasy world, although I guess it's possible. Uh, but do you think the motivation of the creatures, the aliens, um, is something that, that they often miss? Or do you feel like a lot of people get that right? Like, is something you have strong feelings on? You know, for, for me, it's almost 50-50. A lot of movies get it right. Uh, a lot of movies have, like, signs. There's a, you know, there's a big plot hole there. Why would they, why would they come to a planet where most of it is hostile to them? Um, I, I, I was trying to think there was a, uh, one of the science channels years ago, they were talking about what would happen if aliens showed up on earth. And the, the thing that they, they pointed out the flaw in the, all the alien movies where they show up here to try to take over is after nine to 12 months, if, if the germs that we have don't kill them, attrition will, because they can't maintain you know, their presence that long that we can't outlast them. So I, I think what you need to do when you're when you're writing these stories, and it's one that I did with a story called The Invited, where they, they put a beacon out just beyond the solar system and say, hey, we're here, come visit. And the first species that shows up has been moving from system to system, mining planets, leaving them barren, and then moving on. And that's their thing is that they are they are stripping resources so that they can maintain their, their hold on other areas of, of space. And the further out they go, the more they need and the worse things are getting home, back home for them. So eventually it will collapse on them and it just happens to collapse on them as they get to us. But the, the thing I did was I, I wanted to make sure that there was a, a reason for them to come and either there's going to be two reasons, either they're coming to strip everything clean or they're explorers. And that's really the only two options you have because we, you know, humanity explores. We want to go to that next continent. We want to cross this ocean to a land we haven't been to before. We want to go to the moon. We want to go to Mars. We want to go beyond the solar system. So some species of aliens are going to be like that. They're going to share that sense of exploration. The others are they're, they're into exploitation. They want to take for their own uses. So they are going to be looking for places that have those resources they need. And a lot of books and a lot of movies get that right, in my opinion. Um, but then some, they don't. And you're like, that makes no sense why they would do this. Or, or even how they could like you mentioned earlier, if they don't have the right anatomy, how did they even build a ship to begin with? And that's never explained. And that's, that's something you really need to explain because otherwise someone like me is going to be sitting here picking you apart. 
And I don't well, like doing that, you know? Well, with, so, um, the Kalasians that, um, from the sci-fi, uh, the romance, it was the reason for the Kalasians coming to Earth was to start trade. Mm-hmm. You know, they came, they were coming and their objective was to open trade. Earth had other ideas, but uh, the Kalasians had the better tech. We'll put it that way. No spoilers. <laughs> so so, so the, the implication with Richard, what, what you left, I think, unsaid is, most places, most when we when we explore, we're not exploring because I just want to see what's out there. We also are exploring because the the desire to expand our reach and right. colonize. So we didn't come to the Americas from England, for instance, because we're all three of us are, are writing from you know recording in America. Like they came here looking for land to, to continue expanding and for yeah. new opportunities for that that escape valve that was the old west, for instance. So I think. The, the understanding, at least for me, I don't see anyone, or I guess you could make it believable, but for the most part, exploration and colonization go hand in hand for me. Yeah. And my rationale, and yeah. my you could probably sell me that maybe these guys just love learning so much that, you know, they just collect information. Okay. But that would make them the oddball species, creature, whatever. Um so, so you don't buy the Indian, you don't buy the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skulls thing, where knowledge was their treasure. I, I think that can be, but I don't think that's the norm. No, no, I, I, no. yeah, no. I would think that the general, it like you said, it'd be 50-50. You'd have those who do want to conquer, who do want to, you know, take what they can, and then you're going to have the others who are the opposite, where they're exploring open trade colonizing that kind of thing yeah i mean it's the two sides to a coin yeah i don't know that i buy they'd come here looking for resources because most of what they could i mean what could they get here that they couldn't get in an asteroid belt with the exception of the plant life like the actual living uh stuff in which case i mean there's plants there's i'm sure there's minerals you know and I'm sure that those exist on planets that you're not. I mean, you don't correct, know what I'm the willing. other planet has or doesn't have. I mean, think of Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, you know. Well, so, okay. it's Fair. similar to Earth doesn't mean it's going to have the same stuff Earth does. So they could be coming most of the for ones, precious minerals. Most of what they have in science fiction in the past, most of what I have read where they had them, they're strip mining the water or the minerals. And everything specifically in the, the instances I'm looking at were easier to get in the asteroid belt, including yeah. water that was frozen. So if you're going to have them coming for resources, you have to make it a resource that makes sense that it wouldn't just be easier to grab in an asteroid belt where they don't have to risk anybody's life. How about oil? How about oil? oil? How about petroleum? I mean, who knows what they would use it for, but you could conceivably create a story where they are looking for planets where uh, that have produced petroleum or petroleum similar material. And for whatever reason, they need that. That to them is gold for, for, well, for us, you know. So they would go to a planet that is a rocky world where life would have been or is still where that, that petroleum might have formed. 
and they would they would go to get that. I mean, that's just one that you could do. You would so, need to research what is on Earth that is nowhere else. For the novel I wrote, bamboo, and the technology to use that bamboo to create um, houses and you know buildings and things like that, because yeah. they may not, they don't have that knowledge, that technology yeah. on their planet. So they were coming here to look for it. That was I mean, one of the things they wanted to trade for. Books uh, was another thing I had them doing, but I also didn't want to do the normal stuff. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it, you know, it, there are it, tropes, but, yeah. you know, sometimes you want to do something different. Yeah. And, I mean, you know. You'd have to research. I mean, you'd really have to, to dig deep to find things that are on Earth and only on Earth. And then try to figure out how you're going to make it to where the aliens are going to go this great distance to get here and to take it. And it doesn't have to just be Earth. You could set any planet out there where a species comes in. They go, oh, you got something we really want. And we're not going to ask nicely. Or you could they come in and, hey, we're, we're explorers, but we also are into trade. You have this. We need this. We have this that you might like or might need. And, I mean, you could do that. It, it it takes it takes a lot of work and a lot of research. The good writers are going to put that research and that time and effort into it. The lazy ones are just going to make up something and then leave these big plot holes for the rest of us to poke fun at. You know, that's what I have Mark for. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's more the you know hardcore sci-fi. You know, he grew up mm -hmm. reading like Hanlon and all of those. You know, he watches all the sci-fi movies i don't think there's one he hasn't watched chris you know he was huge into them also he and mark would go back and forth and i'd just be there listening and taking mental notes about it all <laughs> and if i had a question you know i could pick their brains mm -hmm. and you know of course now i don't have chris but i still have mark yeah. and um you know that's how when I was writing the novel, it's like, okay, I want to do this. What makes sense? Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing that, you know, Mark and I are able to do because he has that knowledge. You know, my knowledge is in IT and things like that. And, you know, murder mysteries. I grew up reading and watching murder mysteries. So I've got more of that than he does. Yeah. And, you know, um, the police procedural part of in the Injustice series, that came from Chris. You know, when I was writing Scales of Injustice, I was asking, okay, it's this universe. It's this part is this far into the future. You know, it's this kind of technology. How do I do this without making it seem like they're idiots? Because yeah. I didn't want any of the off, you know, the police service to come off like idiots. And the questions he didn't have an answer to, he would ask his chief. And, you know, that was a huge help. Yeah. And, you know, and that's another thing. It's like when you're writing it's not only figuring out, you know, okay, how do the 
you know, what do the aliens look like? What is their world like? What is their culture? It's also figuring out the society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you make things look realistic, but still keep it fantasy? Right. And, you know, having resources at hand is huge help. And it's not just, you know, the movies, the books and all that. It's the people, you know, who you can reach out to, like your friend who does the Westerns. Yeah. When I when I wrote Escaping Infinity, I need this is going to sound bad. I needed the Earth to get destroyed right off the bat. That That's the whole thing. In fact, we use that as a sales pitch. The Earth gets blown up in the first page, but don't worry, it's going to work out. Uh, so, so I needed that to happen. And it needed to be an alien species that does it. But it, I didn't want it to be, hey, you know, we just go out bumping off planets because they needed to stick around and try to undo what happened. What species would come across a planet that just got destroyed and try to fix it? So I came, what I came up with is it was a race of, of aliens who are explorers. They, they are perfectly fine where they at with their home planet. Uh, they, they now have reached the point where they just go out and explore the galaxy looking for other races to contact when they are ready kind of federation light. Yeah. Um, and and so he, the, the commander of the fleet, is taking them to the center of the Milky Way. But on the way, he wants to swing by this planet he discovered many years ago and show everybody this young race that is full of promise and has a great future ahead. And they screw up something along the way with the navigation and instead of popping out of hyperspace just beyond the moon, they pop out of hyperspace right in the atmosphere. And that just lights it up. So the commander is guilt-ridden and decides, I have got to fix this. And, and his, his fleet commander is like, we know what you're thinking. You can't do this. It violates our laws. And he goes, we did this. We're going to fix it. And I don't care the cost. So that's, that's the whole point for his his story arc is trying to undo this terrible thing he did. So there's no malice. This is a pure explorer who is looking to just expand the knowledge base that his race has. So I'd like that type of alien personally, as opposed to just the ones that are just blowing stuff up just to blow stuff up. Um, and, but that's, that's a personal, I mean, I know, I know there's readers out there who lo who love that. Make them the bad bad guy. That way, we we rise up. We can defeat them, and we can all cheer. But I I kind of like a little bit more depth to it, as opposed to just a creature of destruction. And and so that's kind of what I look at when I'm creating an alien race or an alien character is to get more into why they're they are the way they are and what drove them to be where they are at when I introduce them into the story. I can't do military because I know nothing at all about military and the people who I know who are military aren't quite as accessible. <laughs> so it's not like I can just, you know, call them up or, you know, cat, yeah. you know, see them in the house and be like, okay, hi, I have a question, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, I did include the military, but, mm -hmm. you know, um, I didn't want them to 
with the Calasians, I wanted them to come off as nonviolent. You know, they yeah. can be violent. They just have their own methods of focusing their violence. Mm -hmm. um, and their society is completely different. But, you know, when I wrote the first contact, I wanted it to be, they wanted to literally open trade. They weren't trying to attack or anything like that. And yeah. to me, that's a better story than, oh, well, we're going to go over here and attack them because we can, because I wouldn't know how to write it. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing is write what you know, or don't write what you don't know and screw it up to where everyone wants to have your head. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing you, you don't you want to avoid. And, you know, my first foray into writing ad, a sci-fi was for the Saturn anthology. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, a short story on Europa where it had been colonized. And, you know, basically it was uh, a girl there who was a witch and had to figure out how to get out of the arranged marriage. So... Mm -hmm. <laughs> She used her witchcraft yep. and got her revenge in Did the end. Did she turn him into a toad? No, she, she killed him. Into a toad? It, 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 she killed the wood well, that works too. husband and her father. So, yeah. <laughs> very Germanic um, um, fairy tale of you. Yeah. <clears throat> now you just need a few flames. Like, Did, did, did uh, she, she light him on fire too? Because then you've got the trifecta. She ends up summoning an Afrit, hooks up with him, and then uh, goes back and kills the would-be uh, husband and her father. So, you know, it works out great. Are those still available, Richard? I know you published them. I'm sorry? I know you published them. Are they still in print, at least, if people were interested? Oddly enough, the only way you can get them now is on audiobook. Because we, are, we have been trying with um, ACX to pull them because we took them out of print and they won't pull them. I mean, I, I have, I have actually threatened with summoning a, a creature out of Lovecraft to, <laughs> to land on their building if they don't pull them. So if, if you hurry, you can get the audiobook versions. There may be a time in the future where we bring them back online. Uh, but that is going to be, that's a distant future right now. There's a, a few things that have to happen first. And I don't think your story made the best of. Yeah. There's, and there, there. I've, I have been toying with the idea of putting a bunch of mine in collection, in a collection, because I have gotten the uh, ability to publish like yeah. the short from Crack and a few others. Yeah, I'm doing the same with mine. All of my short stories that are in anthologies um, that have been out for a long time, I'm going to just start releasing on my own. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think they're they're good enough to stand on their own without being in a collection. But yeah, I mean, you know, the I, I'm trying to remember how she bumped them off. 194 stories in that 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 series, guys. So don't get on to me for not remembering all of them. Oh, word uh, word. My, my character. Yeah, yours. Yeah. Uh, she used magic to create um, a, like a sword and um, something else. I forgot what it was. 
Okay, but, I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was very descriptive, though. I don't know. If no, I, I didn't okay. go into a lot of details. It was just a she does Jim, this. I will say, with, with Jim is like having experts. Go, go ahead, Jr. Go ahead, Richard. No, I was just going to say you mentioned Jim, having experts. I'm going to just go here. here. Go. When Jim and I, when Jim and I did our our, our book, we we wanted the, there were nine guys who attack a ranch, and they did some really, really bad things. I'm not going to get descriptive, but you can kind of figure uh, a husband, wife, and a young girl by themselves in the middle of nowhere getting attacked by nine guys. It didn't go well for them. So the the two men that are sent after these nine, they are not going to arrest them. They have orders, don't bother. You know, you, you're not bringing them back. So we came up with some very inventive ways to kill these guys off because they were very evil and we wanted the reader to go, yeah, good. That's what the, so the most gruesome we got was the, the last character, the one that, that, that started all this from the beginning, he gets shot by one of the two main characters and it hits him here and goes straight through and turns him just perfectly for the second guy's shot to go here to here and basically creates a cross on the guy's brain. And I thought that was probably the most descriptive death I would ever come up with. But it also suited just how evil that guy was for him to have his brain branded with a cross when he died. So, you know, we, we kind of got descriptive, but it was the old West we thought we could. Um, I, do, I don't think we I don't think you got that descriptive. No, but, but it's, it's still along the lines of that guy got what he had coming. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> Well, her betrothed was not a nice person. No, and her no, father uh, basically killed her mother. So yeah, okay, yeah, Jr. I'm sorry. I kind of, I kind of, kind of stepped all over you there, Jr. I'm sorry. No, you are absolutely okay. Um, so when you guys write, um, you're trying to get us back to believable aliens from westerns. Um, because although you could have aliens in your Western, I think Will Smith did it with the wild, wild West. Uh, and that aliens and cowboys. Yeah. Giant spider. So it could be done. Yeah. But, um, do you prefer when you see the aliens to see them from their own point of view, or do you prefer to see them from the humans they're encountering's point of view? Hmm. I actually like both. I want to know... You know, I don't buy into the fact that somebody's evil just for the sake of being evil. There's got to be a reason why they are doing what they're doing. I want to, I want to understand that. I may not agree with it. Uh, the, the the movie The Rock, the the general that takes over um, Alcatraz and is threatening to launch these uh, chemical weapons. He's a bad guy if you only saw it from the other point of view. But you get to see why he's doing it. And it's still not right what he did, but the motivation for it makes him a better villain to me. Because you you understand it's not just from a, a, a standpoint of pure evil. He's he's doing this because he feels that the men under his command that have been have died in action have been betrayed by the people that they were serving. And he thinks that he, he by doing this. He can force the government to do right by those men. So that makes for a better villain. You still don't agree with what he did, you know, but 
you understand why. And that makes for a better story, whether it's, you know, even with aliens, why are they doing what they're doing? I don't, going back to science, I don't think we ever knew why they were here. They were just here. And, and to me, that was a big, yeah. that was a big hole. Why, why, again, why are they on a planet that's going to kill them first? But why are they going from planet to planet? What's going on? So I would, I, I'd like to see both. Uh oh, okay. we got a cat, a cat in the chat. Yeah, it's our kitten. <laughs> um, uh, personally, I think it depends on the story. Because regardless okay. of how it's written, you can still find out a person's motivation or a being's motivation. You know, um, I do that in the Injustice series when, you know, they're getting the confessions of the murderers. You know, it's a matter of, okay, why are they doing this? Well, they have to follow the clues and everything, but at the end, you find out why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the stories I normally do them from one character's point of view, unless it's like high fantasy, because the story just that's the way it needs to be told. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you can still have, the you know, motivations. And that's pretty much how it goes for me anyway. You know, it. It's all about what motivates them, but I don't always flip it to show, to have it from the other side. And yeah. sometimes, well, okay. The Injustice series is currently at six books written. And I still have three more in the series, four more in the series to finish, to write. I've been told I need to stop by my publisher because I, they need to get some of them published before I continue. <laughs> well, I kind of went on a binge between last December mm. and like March, April of this year. And that's when I got them written. And except for two, hi, they're um, 100,000 plus word novels. So yeah, I was a little busy. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. It's like I think I can take a break now. Yeah, you're you're like Declan. He um, he started the White Ops series, and we we did the first three, and uh, we we started on the second three, and so book five comes out, and so I I sent him a message. I go, okay, give me a rough idea how many more we got coming, because I'm thinking six we could probably wrap up from the way he's got it written. Mm -hmm. maybe nine he might have three more he goes, well, I'm working. <laughs> he goes i'm writing book 13 right now i'm like oh my lord so yeah we've got we're at five now he's already got six through 12 written just not sent in yet so i i i i, I uh i sympathize with your publisher it's a good problem to have though um i'll Scott, say that william joseph roberts um he teases me because he's like i have your stuff in its own folder because he made the mistake when uh, he took over the Lady of Death series from uh, Chris Kennedy Publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, what else do you have? Well, I've got a bunch. Here's what I have. Send it to me. Send me everything. I'm, you sure about that? Yeah, send he, it all. 
He asked for it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here you go. No, he asked That's for it lot. when he said that. Well, you asked for it. <laughs> yep. but, um, no, uh, I, I learned early in this game, what do you have exactly? And then I will pick and choose. <laughs> Well, as he said, I love, I enjoy your writing. So he's uh, well, enjoying. He is publishing it, and um, well, the I, Injustice I, series is well. It we called it. We named it the Corruption Universe because it's all about corruption, one way or another. And the Injustice series is currently at four novels. I have Hidden Motives, which is like a prequel. I have a side story. And then I have another trilogy with a different main character that gives more insight into um, another race. And you find out a lot. Uh, there are answers to certain questions if mm -hmm. you read the other novels. <clears throat> and um, that one actually completely wraps up even the smallest little loose ends at the end of um, the uh, Injustice, fourth Injustice novel. And then my husband and I were talking and we came up with an idea for a fifth novel in the Injustice series. So it's a series that can just keep on going as long as we have ideas and the universe is so vast, you know, if any other authors wanted to play in it, there's yeah. plenty of options. Right. And, you know, you've got all different, you know, worlds and races and it's really open. So we've talked about making the aliens believable. How do you think um, that would apply when you talk about believable interactions with humans? Because, well, for instance, on the romance side, you've got Blue Manchester of the Week, where they just basically take a human, throw a skin filter over it to change the color, and suddenly all the body parts work and they can mate and produce babies. Um, and then you get I feel called out again. <laughs> you get the more absurd, where basically you've got Space Yeti and the mountain hiker lady and don't even try to understand the physics because your mind will break um so when it comes to how they will react you've got everything from that extreme to just touching each other is going to cause some sort of uh viral overload and one of them is going to come out dead right so there's there's some extremes that you see in fiction what do you think is probably more believable i do think at least when it comes to viruses which we you hinted at earlier uh, Richard, I, I do think, you know, that what happens when cultures clash and you're not exposed to the same viruses and bacteria, there is going to be some inevitable fallout, intentional or otherwise. Yeah. But once you get past that and presuming, you know, they're not in a spacesuit the whole time that would protect them or you can't explain tech why they're not affected by it. Um, what do you think those interactions are going to look like? I mean, we're not going to, I mean, unless you let the Marines loose, it's not going to be all shagging time, you know? That, that, that's true. You know, you know who did a very good job with this? I'm going to use it as an example is Babylon 5. When, when, uh, when they explained how humans first met the Mimbari and the Mimbari are, they're in their ships and they're doing what they consider normal. 
we're we're approaching you in our ship. We've never met you before. We open our gun ports to show you. Uh, you know, to them it was a a gesture of respect and honor. You know, you know, here we are. The Earth ships see this. Hey, those suckers are going to start shooting at us. Let's start shooting them first. That was that was to me made a lot of sense because it's a different culture. They have different ways of approaching things, and we have our ways of approaching things. We see somebody with a loaded weapon pointed at us. We're either going to turn and flee or we're going to start shooting. And that's what happened. And that that triggered that whole war and, and triggered the whole interaction between the species until, you know, they finally figured out, okay, oops, we shouldn't have done that. But even, even beyond that, they would have species that couldn't just walk around the station. And so they had their own section and they had their own atmosphere and the humans could go visit them. But you had, you know, gear on that you had to wear. Uh, so it, it took into account some of the science behind what it would be like if we go out there eventually and we start bumping into these other races. Um, there's, you know, there's going to be some virus issues and we're, we're going to figure out, OK, we can't be in the same room. Um, and then sorting out the culture, there's going to be a lot of mistakes and misunderstandings and the occasional war. But that's that to me is how things will probably play out if we ever get to that point. You'll um, also have other races trying to create wars with their enemies. Mm -hmm. That's what I did with. Um, well, it's it'll be titled Hidden Motives, but it was my attempt at a romance. Um Told you, I feel I was called out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he he did it this time. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, the main character Alyssa is an assassin for Earth. She's gotten too good at her job. Well, for Earth's military, she's gotten too good. She's sent out to die, and she's basically um, uh, I can't think of the word. Sorry, um. So female John Wick and uh, she's going to be set out, and when her ship explodes, the Calasians are going to be the guilty ones, re despite the fact they're not the ones doing it. Mm -hmm. So the Calasians rescue her. So you have the romance between her and the commander of the ship, and the commander of the ship wants to use her to open trade because she knows the worst side of. Humanity, basically. But um, trying to think here. Bear with me. Uh, but the Calasians, um, their enemies, the Venuians, have started working with Earth. The Calasians just aren't aware of it. And the Venuians are trying to get Earth to start war with the Calasians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can see that happening with other races because, you know, let's say Earth meets, you know, one race, they become allies. You know, you already have it on Earth where one nation will start trouble with other nations, you know, maybe subtly under the table, whatever. It happens, you know that's going to expand to other races mm -hmm. and other races are going to 
find ways of manipulating Earth. And they're going to try to create wars with their enemies, even if those that other race isn't doing anything, right. even if they're trying to be peaceful. And that was part of the whole problem with, you know, the Venuians, the Calasians, and Earth, because the Calasians are wanting to be peaceful, the Venuians are not, and Earth are following right along with the Venuians. Yeah. And that was actually a fun story, which I improved on because I did not like it originally. I, I, I knew stuff was missing. I just couldn't figure out what it was. So yeah. I ended up uh, getting the rights back and adding 20,000 words to it. I mean, you, you, you're not going to have the extremes of we go out there and everybody, or even if you write this, uh, everybody instantly gets along or no. everybody instantly <laughs> goes into interstellar war. Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be malice you know, yeah. from a third party. Um, I, I think we just take the human experience and you kind of figure it's going to, it's going to expand out no matter what species you deal with because that's just the way things are. People yeah. people are sometimes going to manipulate and some people are actually going to be genuinely, hey, let's just do this and, and get along with everybody. And, you know, th things are going to happen just organically without a whole lot of people doing a whole lot to, to cause it because it's just the way things are. And humans, it's human nature yeah. to manipulate others. I'm not mm -hmm. saying every human does it, but there's plenty of people who do it. We all know someone who does it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like I said, the governments already do it towards each other, where yeah. they're constantly going back and forth. I mean, spies. There's a reason spy movies and novels and everything are so huge. Mm -hmm. It's because it happens. It's, it's enough reality there that you can see just how bad things are. <laughs> and um, when I worked at JMU, there was a professor there who told me quite a bit about what happens between the governments. So that was a lot of fun and fun conversations and very educational. But, um, and of course, you know, I applied it to my writing, but, you know, you see it and you know, humans are going to do it towards other races. Other races will do it towards each other. You know, you're going to have the warring races. You're going to have the pacifists. You're going to have those who are kind of in between. And, you know, like you said, it's not all going to be, you know, yeah. rainbows and sunshine, you know, fluffy unicorns and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing about Babylon 5, the way you wrapped it up with the shadows and the Vorlons. These guys have been fighting this thing for, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. They've had this, this battle going on by proxy where, okay, I've got this planet that I'm kind of got my fingers in. I'm going to send them after that planet. You got your fingers in and never come out in open conflict until they were forced to at the end. So, you know, you're, you're going to have that. I, oh, yeah, you know, in writing, you have to have that because the reader needs to have a reason to be engaged and wonder what's going on and keep turning the page to the next page to find out. So, 
you know, I, I think for, for us, that's just what we're going to do. We're going to have these, these different conflicts with, with different motivations and you just have to do it in a way to, to keep the reader going. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in our history that, you know, you read the history or if you don't like reading, watch it. Um, I like yeah. both. He doesn't like reading. <laughs> I like both. So, you know, you can do all of that and discover, okay, this is what happened in the past. Oh, look, we're doing that again. And then you can apply it to anything because again, it's fantasy. So you can mix and match all you like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my husband and I play Dungeons and Dragons and there's so many different races. It's like, well, you could take this race, combine it with that race, put it over here on this planet with this ecology and you have a whole new world and you can take that and then, you know, turn it into an alien race and do all sorts of things with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, with that being said, we're at the hour mark and we're trying to work on our pacing now that we don't have a script. So we're going to take that um, segue and say, um, if people want to know more about these alien worlds that you've created, uh, we'll start with you, Richard. How can listeners and viewers find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Well, the best way is to go to my website, which is uh, scifiscribe.com. It's S-C-I-F-I-S-C-R-I-B-E. Um, or you can go to Tuscany Bay Books and you'll find everything that I have published is published through Tuscany Bay. So you find me there. You'll find out uh, about the StarQuest universe. There's a menu option at the top. You click on that and you'll get... A, a brief little roundup of what goes on in every age. You'll see which age has books out, which ones have books coming. Um, so just go to that and and kind of check out what I've written and what we've got coming up. Um, I'm, I'm really promoting the Sarquest thing very hard because I see with John's got 12 books and he originally started with four and he called me up and said, I think it's six now. I'm like, okay, just let me know when you got one ready. And the last update was it's up to 12 and he's still rewriting some stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, if we keep the progression going, we're talking 24. It's the next time I hear from him, 24. So it's going to be this vast universe. And if you are, if you're looking for something like that, uh, just go to our website there, check out his stuff. I've got, you know, like I said earlier, I write in just about anything and uh, I pretty much should have something you'll enjoy no matter what, you know, what your thing is, sci-fi or mystery thrillers or whatever. Okay. And what about you, uh, Miss J.F. Posthumous? <laughs> um, you can find me on Three Ravens Publishing. Their website is threeravenspublishing.com. Uh, they have a menu. You can find my name there. You can find me on Amazon under J.F. Posthumous. Um, I have a website. I just haven't uh, updated it recently in like a year. I'm horrible. Um, I also have Facebook, so you can find me there under author JF Posthumous. Um, and yeah, those are pretty much the main places you're going to find me. <laughs> okay. That's still places people can find you. 
Um, so you can find us, dear listener, on our link tree, which will be linked in the show notes, which is linktr.ee backslash blasters and blades podcast again link tree backslash blasters and blades podcast where you can find a link to our rumble and bit shoot account uh we welcome all of our new users over there thank you for finding us and, and giving us a shot uh we are on twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show again sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com i promise we do answer those letters uh, unless it's hate mail and then we make doc read them because she likes that um you can find us on facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we also have a facebook page that doesn't have a dedicated url so it's facebook uh with a bunch of gobbledygook but we are working on fixing that but if you search for us you can find us and i share all kinds of uh book reviews and episodes and what am i reading now posts Speaking of um, websites, we have our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. These episodes are not free to produce. There is some overhead with running a podcast. So every cent you donate helps defray those costs. And we greatly appreciate it. And if you want to support the show more directly, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated they will drink until they can taste the colors of the rainbow or something i've got to come up with a new catchphrase now that we don't talk about booze every episode on account of people thought we were luscious uh, it just doesn't have the same flow i mean they will drink until their liver surrendered had a certain ring to it right yeah um, you know, you, know, you you brought up taste the rainbow and you're you're flashing me back to a commercial that ruined me for skittles after the giraffe oh. commercial, I can't eat that candy anymore. That's okay. My kids eat it for you. Oh, they're welcome to it. <laughs> I, I see a bag of Skittles immediately. I see the giraffe thing. I'm like, no, no. Nice, nice. All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. We appreciate both of you sticking by. Uh, Mike Gallagher, who had to disappear because his Wi-Fi sucked. But if you're interested in more, he's been on the show before. We will link to him in the show notes anyway, just because you got to see his pretty face for five seconds. And with that being said, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Richard, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. We'll have thank to have you. you guys back. Thanks for having us on. All right. Thanks for having us. We're and we're